We'll read from verse 3 down to verse 10 to get started. He's talking, as it says at the end of verse 2, the day of salvation is the accepted time to begin ministry. Verse 3 says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Now we will not get through that entire reading this morning other than to read it. You may have heard, maybe you didn't notice it before, but starting in verse 4, the repeated preposition leading to each separate thought is in. And we hope maybe we'll get through the ins this morning. When you get to verse 6, it changes to by, by this and by that. And when you get toward the end of it in verse uh, 8 and from there to the end, we have contrasts, as and yet, as and behold, as and not. And so it's a list of aspects of the ministry in Paul's ministry that he says, Corinthians, get a hold of these ideas in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. He is wanting to include them and us in the aspects of ministry that will make it effective. His ministry was effective because he paid attention to these aspects of ministry. I would remind you again, we looked at it or talked about it for several weeks in chapter 5, the ministry of reconciliation is the gospel. And that's what Paul's ministry was. It was the gospel. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the ministry of reconciliation. Now he's getting into detail and talking about how in their lives and how in his life it has already been, in their lives and in our lives, as he writes for us as well, these things should affect us so that we can be better. And I hate to say the, keep saying the word ministry, but it's the word that's in the Bible in the King James, and that's fine, but it just means our service, how we deliver the product. If somebody orders food in a restaurant and you're a waitstaff person, you take the finished product to the table. You're a minister, you're a servant, you're a waiter. And that's the idea of this word. Paul says we have to serve up this ministry of reconciliation and we need to do it in these ways that the ministry be not blamed. You don't want to have your thumb in the water pitcher when you're bringing the water to the table. That's a good, that's a good way to get the servant blamed and the people won't want to drink the water. 
I, I say that because that happened when I was about nine years old in a Hilton hotel in Cairo, Egypt. The waiter came to the table with his thumb in the water pitcher and was pouring, and we wouldn't have that water. It was odd. In verse 4, he says, In all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Not for our own approval, but he says, That's how you measure it. Do you have these things? That's a way of measuring how you will be approved as the ministers of God. It's about Paul, the notes, it's about the Corinthians, it's about us. Giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Before we even go on to these in things, I thought I should look with you at a couple other thoughts. If you're going to effectively serve, you've got to pay attention to how what you do and how you do it affects the people around you. We're not one man against the world. We're not a quarterback without an offensive line. That doesn't work very well. We are a team and so if we as a team want to minister effectively, we have to pay attention to how what we do in all these aspects affects the people around us. I move to Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 15. It's page 1200 in the Schofield Bible. If you'd like to look at it, it is in the notes. Paul says this, near the end of his letter to the Romans, let us not therefore judge one another anymore. I'm going to criticize you. <laughs> No, let's not do that anymore, but this rather judge, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. We would think really badly of Louis if he said, Tom, this is going to be real funny watch. I'm going to stick this hymn book in front of your feet. <laughs> don't do that. Tom wouldn't like that. Louis wouldn't do that. We don't want to put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in our brother's way, whether sighted or otherwise. Yeah, ha ha, it's April Fool's. I'm not April Fool's, it's, it's Halloween coming up. We'll just go around trick-or-treating. When those kids are at the door, we'll get up behind them in a big, scary man. No, don't do that. Don't put an occasion to stumble, occasion to fall in your brother's way. Verse 14, Paul says, I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there's nothing unclean of himself. You know, he's got something specific in mind that these people in Rome might be doing that would be a stumbling block or an occasion to fall for their brothers. He says there's nothing unclean of itself. I'm persuaded of the Lord Jesus. That's different than what the law says, but I'm not under the law. To him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, to him is unclean. <clears throat> in another place, he says, well, we'll read it next. It's in 1 Corinthians 8. It's in the next little passage. If somebody thinks you shouldn't eat that, that was offered up in the temple of Aphrodite or the temple of Baal or wherever it might have been, that's dedicated to that demon god. He says that's unclean. You should, if he says that's unclean, to him that esteemeth it's unclean, he shouldn't eat it. And then in verse 15 he says, if your brother is grieved with your food, with your meat, oh, you're not walking charitably. You're not walking in love. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. Paul said, you know there's nothing wrong with, and I'm going to name some things I like, crab legs, lobster, scallops, pork. Cook it right, it's great. Applesauce on it. But there's some people that think it's unclean 
And I would hurt them if I was out there showing off and eating what I know is okay in front of them. It'll cause them to stumble. There are no dietary laws put upon the church. But there are recommendations that are recommended because there are Jewish people all around. And so the church in Jerusalem wrote a letter and Paul took it back out to his churches and he said, you know, we shouldn't eat things strangled or eat blood and we should stay away from the fornication stuff. Right there, it was not, he says, if we do these things, you'll do well. And that's the truth. The only dietary rules in the New Testament are recommended. And this rule right here, if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, what you know is okay, but he stumbles. You're not walking in love. You're not walking charitably. You're destroying him. Rendering him ineffective. A brother for whom Christ died. That's not good. Page 1219, another passage. He touches on the same kind of thing in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9. He's still talking about food because it was in Rome and in Corinth, in all the Roman Empire, there were still pagan temples. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have freezers. The rich people had some ice, but that was imported from the north in the winter, whatever. They just didn't have a way to keep food fresh. And so the only good meat was the meat that was freshly slaughtered. And that was sold after it was offered to the idols in the public marketplace, and that was the good meat. And in verse 7, I'm backing up a little bit, it says, I'm not going to go further back than that. Verse 4, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know, yea, Corinthians, you and me, we know, that an idol is nothing in the world. There is none other God but one. That's the truth. What are those other gods? I mean, there's all kinds of powerful spirit beings out there. They're not God. They call them gods with a little g, but they're demons. They're just fallen angels. They're just powerful spirit beings, stronger than we are. We don't want to mess with them, but they're not God. There's none other God but one. Though there be, there, there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, there's gods many and lords many. But to us, there is but one God, the Father of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. But in verse 8, how be it, there is not in every man that knowledge. Some, even some believers, with conscience of the idol, unto this hour eat it as a thing offered to an idol. They say, I'm a believer in Jesus. I know... This demon has blessed this meat, so it's good for me. I'll just go get it and tip my hat to the demon. Their conscience being weak is defiled. Verse 8 says, Meat commendeth us not to God. Neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the works. But the rule is in verse 9. Take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours, this liberty that you do have, it's your liberty, become a stumbling block to them that are weak. This is where we're back into the notes now. If any man see thee which has knowledge, oh, I'm so, I know there's, there's an idol, it's not a demon, it's not God. See you that has knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple. Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered unto idols? 
And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Now, he can't lose his salvation, but he could get messed up if he says, look, I know, I know Brother James, he thinks this meat offered idols. That's good stuff because of the idol. So I'm going to go and get that meat because I respect Brother James so much and he thinks meat offered idols is better for you than through thy knowledge shall thy weak brother perish. What, what do you mean perish? Testimony ruined, effective service ruined, just really confused. You know some people that are saved and are not sound. Might have used to have been, might have when they got saved, known Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Romans 4, 5, and if, 1 John 5, 13, but now they've been confused and they go to a different kind of church or uh, don't go to church at all. They're just all persuaded by what they call science. And so they're weak. Christ died for them. They're on the way to heaven and they perish as far as effectiveness in this life. Verse 12 says, When you sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus? He said, Paul, Paul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, against the ox goats. And Paul said, who are you? And Jesus said, I'm Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now, who was Paul persecuting? The, the believers in the church. He was going after the believers, and Jesus said, you're persecuting me. And here he says, when you sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you're sinning against Christ. You, if I poke James in the eye, I'm sinning against Christ in that same way. <laughs> Verse 13 summarizes chapter 8. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Now today and here in our lives, we don't have as much issue about food dedicated to idols. But there are a multitude of things that some people think are okay and other people in the church think are, <gasps> if you were really a Christian, you wouldn't do that. People like that. The people that think like that are called weak Christians. That's a sad thing. They need to get to be strong. But as long as there are weak Christians around who are looking at stuff you know isn't really that bad, it's not hurting you, it's not sin per se, but they think it is, and you wound their weak conscience and cause them to perish, you're poking Jesus in the eye. And Paul says, if meat, if these questionable things, if the things I know are okay to do, but somebody else thinks it's bad, if they make my brother to stumble, to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Does that mean Paul became a vegetarian? No. It means he bridled his liberty so that other weaker brothers would get stronger and not be stumbled. Not be stumbled. So Paul addresses this subject under the title of meats, because that's what everybody was concerned about in that world. In the Next passage on page 1304, we're looking at Hebrews 13, the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. I think Paul wrote it. I don't think there's any much doubt that Paul wrote it. This is one of the reasons. Nobody else uses this idea as much as he does. It's, it's just stuck in in the middle here. It's not in a part of a context. 
so much. Let brotherly love continue. Be hospitable for strangers. Remember people that are in prison. Remember people that suffer adversity. You're all in the body, you know. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, your little toe hurts. You're in the same body. Marriage is honorable and all. Let your conversation be without covetousness. It's a shame he has to bring that up by itself. Stop wanting other people's stuff. Be content with such things as you have. Why? Because Jesus is with you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Verse 7 says, Remember them that have the rule over you, have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. Considering the end of their manner of life, their conversation, it Jesus Christ the same, yesterday and today and forever. And then verse 9, without much reference to context, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. There's all kinds of teachings out there. Don't get swept around. It's a good thing. He says, here's the one I want you to focus on. Here's the doctrine you should just stick to. And if anybody takes away from this one, they're wrong. It's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. The unmerited favor of God. The way you are saved by grace through faith plus nothing. Faith alone in Christ alone. Get your heart established with grace. Nail that down. It'll help you understand every hard passage in the Bible. Don't be moved away from grace. He says, oh, by the way, especially stay with grace. Don't go with meats. What? He says, I want you to focus on the gospel, the message of salvation by grace, not with questionable things. People that get all wrapped around the axle of questionable things, whether they're weak or whether they're strong, whether they're caring and loving for their brothers or whether they're not, they don't profit. Doctrine about meats does not profit those that are all wrapped up about it. It's not our job. Go fix that guy's wrong idea about meats. The first time I understood this doctrine about questionable things, and you have to kind of yield to the weaker brother as far as your preferences go, bothered me. And I was, I was sitting there thinking, I said, well, when do I get to be the weaker brother? And it occurred to me that I already had the answer to that. I don't get to be the weaker brother, ever. I might be, but as far as, as much as I understand, that much I understand, and i got to go on and, and do what the Bible says meats, just think questionable things, have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Now when I was in college, there was a group that liked to call themselves focused on grace. They called it the grace movement. It was not about grace though, it was about enjoying questionable things. They had taken the label grace and applied it to their occupation, if you will, with questionable things. And that's an abuse of the word grace. It, grace does not mean live as you please. When you're sharing the gospel, people might think that's what you're saying, but it's not. You know it's not. But you'd get established with grace, the truth of grace. God gives us salvation that we don't deserve. He gives it freely to everyone that believes in his son because his son paid for sin. The sin is not a problem with God anymore. He has reconciled the world unto himself. 
So get established with the gospel, with grace. Don't be wrapped around questionable things. Those just are not profitable. One, pa one more passage on this. It's in 1 Corinthians. It's right after chapter 8. It's chapter 9. <laughs> chapter 9, verse 22. This page 1219, if you're following in a Schofield Bible. <clears throat> Paul is talking about how he became all things to all men. He says, I'm free from all men, but I've made myself servant to all that I could gain the more. I just want to win some people. To the Jews, I came like a Jew that I could gain the Jews. To them that are under the law is under the law that I could gain them that are under the law. He says, I know I'm not under the law anymore, but I got in accord with the law so that I could reach them that still think the law is in effect. To them that are outside the law, as though I was outside the law. It doesn't mean they're outlaws, but they're not under the law. To the Gentiles, I lived like a Gentile. I'm under the law to Christ that I might gain them that are outside the law. To the weak became I as weak. Now he might be thinking there about those questionable things again because that's how he used the word weak. He says somebody that's weak thinks, oh, stay away from that filthy food. It's been offered to idols. To the weak became I as weak. I said, okay, we'll have salad that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means win the election. No, that's not what it says. That I might by all means save some. What's his focus? Grace. What does he want? To be an effective minister, a servant of the truth of the ministry of reconciliation. Verse 23, this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. All right, we're going to go back to where we started now and look at these conditions or these various aspects of the ministry. In verse 4, in all things, approving ourselves as the ministers of God. We need to get a, an approval on our service. And Paul says, these are some of the things that are involved in my testimony and probably in yours, and let's look at them. These are all in things, in all things. One of the commentators, uh, A.T. Robertson, said each word in this next passage carries a story that can be filled in from Paul's own life as a preacher with an echo in that of us all. We should see these things in Paul's life and think about our life, think of the Corinthians, they were to think about their lives, and how these aspects of ministry were for them. His first, his first one, besides all things, says, in much patience, there in verse 4, in much patience. I think this letter was probably read in churches slowly, and they probably stopped and thought about that before they went on to the next word. I don't know. I think we should look over at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 14, page 1270. He's closing his first letter to the Thessalonians. This is the last chapter. He says, now we exhort you, we challenge you, we encourage you. That's the word I'm so I so love the word paraclete, the comforter, the encourager, the exhorter, in the verb form. We want you to do this, brethren. This is what you do. This is the advice of your attorney, if you will, the one called alongside. 
Warn them that are unruly. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Be patient toward all men. You're going to be with people. Somebody said in the ministry, this is such a good thing. I teach the Bible. It's so much fun. I learn so much. I study and prepare and deliver the message. But if there's people, if these people would just not be such a tedious hassle, you know, it's a, they, the people is the, is the ministry, not how much you understand the Bible, how much you love your prep time. It's what you do getting God's word across in a way that's understandable for the people. Be patient toward all. Weak, yes. Feeble-minded, yes. Unruly, yes. It is my privilege to be the one that answers all the inquiries to the Florida Bible College website. They go to David Bauer, they go to Dr. Arnold. I'm the one that answers them. And occasionally people that inquire about the college, sometimes they even fill out an application. And you find that you're dealing with some needy people. The gentleman that applied about a week ago has called me every day. Wants to talk. Just wants to talk. Now he wants to talk and he wants to pray with me. And this is part of the job. It's not my favorite part, but it's part of the job. Be patient toward all men. Comfort the feeble-minded. Support the weak. Warn them that are unruly. If somebody's interrupting the effectiveness of your ministry, you've got to get in the way and say, hey, an incident in my Sunday school class some years ago was out in the other building. My brother-in-law, George Heckman, was at presenting as a missionary in class that day, and one of the class members couldn't stifle himself. He just wouldn't stop interrupting the class. And I quietly got him out of there and said, you can't stay, you've got to go. He still tells me to this day, you know, you threw me out of your Sunday school class. I said, yes, I did. <laughs> We're friends. It's all right. This same thought about being patient toward all men is in Hebrews, not in chapter 13, but in chapter 12, this page 1303. A verse you're familiar with, but you may have skipped over this truth that's in it. He says, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Compassed about, that means in every direction around us. We're encircled, like the, the wagons have been circled up and the uh, enemies are woo and shooting arrows at us. We're compassed, but they're not enemies, they're witnesses. We're surrounded by these Old Testament witnesses of chapter 11. They're watching us, they're witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, get rid of weights, get rid of sins, and let us run the race that is set before us. What did I leave out? Let us run the race that is set before us. Run with patience. Um, Steve Pasternak and his wife Lori run a lot. At least Lori does. And if you ask her, you know, do you run the same way if it's, a, if it's a 440 or if it's a marathon? No, 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 you run entirely differently. 440, you're just all out for all, all short little distance there is there. One lap around the track and you're done. 
But a marathon, you run with patience. You save some for the end. If you run out of gas too soon, you don't get to the end, and that's not a good thing. Run with patience. And it doesn't say the race Paul ran. It says the race that's set before us. I think in front of each believer, there's a race God's laid out. Some of the things are common to all believers. You should be sharing the gospel. You should get clear on how you can most effectively present the gospel. You should practice your own testimony of salvation. This is what I thought. This is what I heard. This is how I changed my mind about whatever it was. Now I believed and I'm saved. Your testimony. What you used to think. Not... Not your testimony about, oh, I was such a bad sinner. That's really not it. It's the testimony about what was wrong in your thinking about salvation. Those Jews that crucified Jesus, Peter said to them, you need to change your minds about who Jesus is. Repent. Change your mind. Paul got to Athens, and the philosophers wanted to hear from him. And he said, you think God fits in a box. You think he needs food and Money, you know, he doesn't need anything from us. He gives to every person life and breath and all things. He doesn't need anything. You need to change your minds about what God is like and believe in Jesus. He's going to judge the world by Jesus, who he rose from, raised from the dead. And Paul was reciting his ministry to the church in Ephesus in Acts chapter 20. He says, you know, you know what my message has been. He says, always, uh, day and night, privately and publicly, I preached repentance toward God, a change of mind about what God is like, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance toward God. That has nothing to do with sin. Repentance, the modern English word repent or repentance in the dictionary says it means be sorry for sin or turn from sin. It really says that. In English, that's what the word means. It's a pity because that's not what the word it translates meant. The word it translates just meant change your mind. And the context says what you change your mind about. If you're talking about how to be saved, you've got to change your mind about who Jesus is. You've got to change your mind about what God is like. Or maybe um, what you thought you could do to please God. The the Jewish people, Paul says in Romans chapter 10, says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They go in about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. And that's the truth about not just Jewish people, but many, many, many religious people around us today. If you think, I can please God by, and you do anything, you're establishing your own righteousness. You haven't submitted yourself to the righteousness of God. It says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Romans chapter 10, the beginning of the chapter. It's a great chapter, for, especially for Jewish people. Paul uses Deuteronomy to go over what he called this word of faith, which we preach. It was all about recognizing it was Jesus that had already been prophesied, and they were memorizing about Jesus, and they were reciting from Deuteronomy about Jesus, and they'd missed it was about Jesus. He says, you need to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You already got the word of God in your mouth and in your heart. You've missed who it's about, Jesus. In any case, we go on here. 
Run with patience the race that is set before us. I hope you don't try to run my race. And I'm certainly not going to try to run Lori's race. <laughs> um, I have run six miles once or twice. I don't care to run that far anymore. I don't think I have run um, 60 yards lately. <laughs> I don't think I run much. Run? No, not so much. Well, besides patience, Paul's next word is just so exciting that we'd like to skip over it. He says, in afflictions. In afflictions? That's what he says. First Thessalonians chapter 3. We were in chapter 5. We'll just go up to chapter 5 and back up two months. First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3, page 1268. Paul says to the Thessalonians... Verse 1, he says, we could no longer forbear. I, I wanted to come and see you. I, I did. And we just couldn't stand that we weren't able to get back there. We thought it good to be left at Athens alone. He says, I'm down the road and I can't go back. So I sent Timotheus, our brother, minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith, that no man should be moved by these afflictions. You people are having a tough time, Paul says. I don't want you to be moved. I don't want you to be pushed away from the gospel because of the things that you go through. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, page 1279. That's not 2 Timothy. What did I do? Oh, I got the wrong thingy. We'll just have to do it the old-fashioned way. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, don't be ashamed. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling. Do you know that's to service? He's called us to service. He's selected, he's elected us to service. He didn't elect who would be saved, but he elected all the saved to serve. This verse, verse 8, sticks in my mind because of Dr. Richard Seymour, story he told back in the very early days, probably the 50s in South Miami. He was a Christian. He was a businessman. He went to a businessman's lunch one day, and the speaker at the lunch got talking about there's this minister, this youth worker in our town that's misleading our teenagers and teaching them that it's all right to have mixed swimming or mixed bathing and it's all right to play all this rotten hootenanny kind of music and it's all right to... And Dick said to us later, he said, the longer I listened to him, the more I realized he was talking about my friend Ray Stanford and the youth ranch. And he says... I listened to it as long as I could, and then I stood up, and I walked to the front to the microphone, and I said, Sir, you're talking about the man who is my very best friend in this world, and everything you just said is a lie. <laughs> Boom! And that's how he illustrated this verse. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. Be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Paul said, don't be ashamed of the word of Jesus, 
nor of me. I'm in jail. Don't be ashamed of me. In chapter 4 of this same book, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 5, almost the end of Paul's life, and he says to Timothy, watch thou in all things. Now that doesn't mean keep your eyes open. It does. It means stay awake. (laughs) Most of us, to stay awake, we have to keep our eyes open. I can stay awake with my eyes shut. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like fasting means to do without eating, to do without food for a spiritual purpose so that you can pray. Watching has to do with doing without sleep for a spiritual purpose. He says you stay awake, you stay alert, you watch in all things. Endure afflictions. What, why didn't he just tell him if you, if you did the right things, God would bless him and bless him and bless him. He'd have a prosperous ministry and money would come flooding. Didn't Paul understand the prosperity message? I don't understand. Why doesn't he? Maybe not. Do the work of an evangelist. Was Timothy an evangelist? He was an elder. He was supposed to ordain elders. But he had to do the work of an evangelist. And so do we. I've known a few men in my life that are gifted evangelists. I would know more. I think Louie might be. I know Ray, I, I know that uh, Dr. Arnold is, Ray Stanford was, some other men in my life. I tell this about Ray Stanford. I didn't get to know him real personally. I got in an elevator he got in after me one time at the Bible college, and he punched me right here. And he said, man, what, you've been eating rocks? Because he hit me right on the corner of the rib cage, and so it felt solid to him. He didn't hit me down here in the jiggly place. <laughs> um, but one of the music groups at the Bible College recorded an album of very nice, easy-to-listen-to music, and one cut was just instrumental for Amazing Grace. And on that cut in their album, Ray Stanford starts talking on the rec- recording. And he says, Amazing Grace. I was a little boy when I first heard that song. My grandmother sang it to me. But you know, I never understood what God's amazing grace was. And then he goes right into the gospel. And it feels like he's sitting on your living room couch with you and you're his oldest friend. Some people can just connect with people by their tone of voice and the love in their heart. He debated Madeline Murray O'Hare, arranged over in St. Pete by the ranch director over there one time. It was recorded. It was broadcast. I saw it after the fact. I don't know if you know, Madeline Murray O'Hare is gone now. She died, but she was an abrasive, rude aggressive woman that got Bible and prayer thrown out of the public schools in this country. But she was rude. She agreed to this debate, and in the midst of the debate, they're actually sitting on couch together, and Ray looked at her and said, Madeline, God loves you, and so do I. (laughs) I, you got to know Madeline Murray O'Hare to know how hard that is. And he said it, and he meant it, and he shared the gospel with her. He didn't get saved, so far as I know, but 
Some people do the work of an evangelist very effectively. We should all do the work of an evangelist. The next one here says, in necessities. In necessities. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. Necessities, talking about stuff you have to have, right? That's not Philippians 4.11. Here I got the wrong bookmark again. That's not it. Philippians 4, verse 11. Paul says this at the end of the letter to the Philippians. That's where he was in jail, you might remember. Had been. Not that I respect in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, Therewith to be content. He, verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. He says, sometimes I'm not going to have what I wish, but I know how to prosper <laughs> when I've got and I know how to prosper when I don't got. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We cannot apply that to Georgia. I'm sorry, it's just not that kind of a state. It's certainly not Illinois. <laughs> Everywhere and in all things I am instructed. One last place we'll look here. We're not getting even through all the ins, but Acts chapter 20, verse 34 Page 1178. That's not Acts chapter 20, verse 34. I tell you, I've just messed up. Acts 20. Toward the end of the chapter, verse 34. He says, you know, Ephesians, he's talking to the elders from Ephesus, the churches in Ephesus. He says, you yourselves know that these hands, he's talking in person to them, and so he does this, you know, these hands, have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. I didn't get stuff from you. That's his point. Part of my ministry, I have coveted no man's silver, gold, apparel. I worked. I showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how that he said it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's an favorite little verse. i got to quit here. Do you know that's not in the Gospels anywhere? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Jesus gave it to, to Paul to speak it to the Ephesians. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive and you won't find that in the Gospels. God, Jesus gave it to him. Well, the work of an evangelist And the ministry and the aspects of the ministry, I have to close, but I want to close with this. In verse 19 of 2 Corinthians 5, Paul explains this is what the ministry of reconciliation is. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We pray you, in verse 20, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. God's already done all the work. Not everybody has believed. In verse 21, there's the sin that somebody made for us. It's on me, because I had sin. Jesus resolved my problem. He made him 
who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God by believing in him, just to be in him by faith. That's the gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the message of your word and these beginning steps we've taken in understanding the so many aspects of the ministry where we are taking that message and to take it effectively, we have to be patient. We might have to endure afflictions. We have to deal with necessities, with shortages of things that we would like to have and these other aspects that Paul talked about. Father, help us to realize having you, we have all that we need. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Let our hearts be established with grace and the knowledge that we have all things in him. In Jesus' name, amen.